Welcome to Small College Conversations, a podcast dedicated to sharing insights from leading small college athletic administrators. Small College Conversations is presented by Chi Alpha Sigma, the only four-year collegiate student-athlete academic fraternity. To learn more, visit chialphasigma.org. And now, please welcome our host, the founder of the Business of Small College Athletics, Jim Abbott. Welcome back to Small College Conversations. I'm Jim Abbott. I'm the founder of the Business of Small College Athletics, and I'm excited to be joined today by Drew Watson, an old friend of mine who's the athletic director at Southeastern University. Drew, thanks for taking some time to join us today. Jim, thanks. Uh, You're looking good. Uh, Retirement seems to suit you, Uh, and it's good to be with you today. Well, I appreciate it. I tell people that I'm in a period of irresponsibility. I'm not in charge of anything. And uh, and so I absolutely recommend retirement for those who, who can afford to do it. Um, but let's talk a little bit about you, Drew. Um, you're the current president of the NAI Athletic Directors Association, but, but uh, I want to know a little bit more about how you got your start because like many administrators, you really started as a coach, uh, women's basketball to be specific, and then kind of transitioned into the administrative side. So just tell us a little bit about your background and, and how you made that transition. Well, it's a, that's an interesting question because every year of my coaching career, I was in athletic administration. So there was never a time when I was just a coach except for one year, my first year at Southeastern, I was just the women's basketball coach. It was so refreshing. Uh, and I, and I had, I had, uh, I had time on my hands that I wasn't used to having. And it was, it was, it was really good. But uh, from the first year I coached, I was an assistant athletic director. And so uh, coaching and administration always went hand in hand for me. I was at what was called at the time, Philadelphia Biblical University where I got my coaching start. I was assistant on the men's side for uh, five years and then kicked over to the women's side as an, as an interim head coach and then uh, took the full-time job uh, two years later. And, um, you know, so I would say the transition was natural. Um, it was a little bit, um, it was eye-opening for me, Jim, because when you're used to being a coach and administrator and, and managing your time, if somebody asked me, well, well, how is it? I mean, does coaching take away from administration or vice versa? I would have said, no, 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 it's it's great. You know, you balance your time. And and I didn't realize until I stepped away from coaching how much, how many relationships you can't build and time you can't spend with coaches because you're coaching yourself. And and so when I stepped away from that, I was I was refreshing. Uh, to be able to spend time with coaches, to be able to build relationships and to be able to, you know, dive a little bit deeper into their experience and to, and to, to coach them. Because as you know, being an athletic director, you're coaching coaches. And so uh, that to me was the most refreshing part. Now that I look back on it, I would say I wasn't as good of an AD as as I could have been because I was coaching and vice versa with coaching as well. So you know, that's that's uh, the transition was a, a lifelong transition, if you would, career long transition. But uh, that's kind of how it went for me. Well, so so talk a little bit about that, Drew, because you came to Southeastern. You spent a year just coaching basketball, which you said was refreshing. You know, you could focus on one area. 
And then you spent a year or two as both the coach and the athletic director. And so what was it? Was it this realization that you're talking about that kind of led to you along with the university administration deciding, no, we need your full-time focus on just leading the department? Yeah, I think for me, it was, you know, when they interviewed me here to be the coach, they asked me, would you ever want to be an AD again? Because I was coming from that world. I was coming from AD coach. And I, I literally laughed, Jim. I said, no, I just want to coach. I want to try and win championships. I, I never want to be in that world again. Um, a year later, I was the interim AD at Southeastern because the AD at the time left in August. And I was the only guy on staff with AD experience. And so they tabbed me to be the interim. Uh, that lasted till April. Then they named me the full-time uh, full athletic director. Um, I think what ultimately led to me stepping down from coaching was the fact that we were starting football. And the year before I stepped down, my boss came to me and said, hey, we really want you to make a decision here. And I said, please don't make me make a decision now because I have a, I have a couple kids on the team who came here to play because I was the coach. They came here from Philly, transferred in. And I really felt at that time, you know, when I took over as coach here, I was the fifth coach in four years. So there was no stability. And I felt like being here three years would, would put the program on good footing and set it you know, to where it needed to be. So they graciously allowed me to, to coach another, another year and then just said, you got to make a decision. And to me, it came down to, you know, I could, I could set vision for one program or I could set vision for the whole, the whole department. And I really felt the challenge of setting vision at a, as a, at a school like Southeastern was very appealing to me. Well, I love it. You know, one day you're saying no way I ever want to do it. And the next day you're doing it in a very successful manner. Um, you know, you, you, you mentioned earlier that part of what you realized was that when you're a coach, you really just can't communicate and coach the coaches uh, as effectively as you want to. And so if I counted correctly, you guys, have, do you have 19 varsity sports now? We do. Okay, so talk a little bit about the the strategy that you have and how you communicate with what is a much larger staff now. How do you how do you do that? Well, as you know, the world of of administration and athletics, you know, you feel like your pants are on fire half the time, and you're you know running from meeting to meeting. You get a phone call you didn't expect. You got to deal with an issue, you know, and so it's like that. And then you're coaching, and you really don't have time to do much else. And your coaches understand that, but it still it still takes away. So what I do, what I've learned to do, what I, what I've done since I stepped away from coaching is try to set up a regular meeting with each coach, um, and also my administrative staff, to make sure that we're touching base on a on a on a re, in a regular interval interval. And I've tried different things, Jim, over the years. You know, at, at weeks, um, with um you know, with, with, with in-season head coaches and every month without a season, out of season coaches. Um, and that got to the point, I have I had other things going on that got to the point where, you know, it wasn't really workable. And so uh, at that point, I just decide I'm going to, I'm going to set up a monthly meeting with every coach, make sure we're connecting. And then I'll, I'll make sure I, uh, you know, I, if I have to do a lunch in between just to, to touch base on a situation or, or there's someone, you know, and I, and I, you know, as you know, I think I think you probably led this way, but 
you know, you're walking around, you, you see a coach just looks beleaguered, looks, looks really tired. And you just want to, you want to give him a hug and say, you okay. You know, when those situations come up, I like to, you know, I like to call somebody in or just say, let's do lunch, you know, just see how, see how they're doing, you know? So that, that's, that's really how I go about it. What about uh, the staff meetings? Do you have those on a regular basis or is yours more one-on-one? -on -one? I, I do have staff meetings on a regular basis. I, I, I have a head coach staff meeting every two weeks. And then I do, uh, I do complete staff on a, on a less normal basis, okay. um, you know, but, but full-time head coaches, all head coaches are, are bi-weekly every Wednesday morning. Yeah. I, I think that's great. There, you know, the communication is so important. Um, being able to transparently communicate what's going on within the cabinet or on a larger scale in the university is important. Um, and we find ourselves in an era with, with coaching staffs that may have veterans and may have young people. Um, and it's just interesting because they all communicate differently. Um, yep. you know, personally, I'm, I'm just not a great texter. Uh, I, I, but you know, whether it's email or fa face to face, it's really hard to beat, but I, but I enjoy kind of learning how people do it because it's really incredible. Um, and very important. Um, okay. Well, one of the things that I've noticed during your tenure at Southeastern is that you, you know, you talked about adding football, but really you've been responsible for adding multiple sports. And, and again, if I counted right, you've added, uh, maybe 10 varsity sports and in the process tripled the number of student athletes on your campus. So, can you talk a little bit about the considerations that you evaluate when adding sports and, and maybe what you learned uh, about that process? Well, you know, as you know, there's a there's a tension sometimes between administration and athletics when uh, we're trying to bolster enrollment using athletics. And I had I heard a you know, you might have been in the same session. It was years ago at convention. I, I heard a president refer to other presidents as the as some of the biggest slum lords he knows and uh and what he meant as you know I'm, what he meant was trying to get heads and beds without creating a great student athlete experience and unfortunately that's a problem you know at, at a number of levels it's not just small colleges it's a number of levels where you know we're just you know just getting getting people in here to you know for revenue and really not giving them a great experience and so, you know, when we started football, we were very intentional that if we couldn't do it right, we weren't going to do it. And we weren't, so we weren't going to become a school that's going to bring in 225 football players and only have 125 helmets. Uh, you know, we were going to, we we're going to build a stadium that, that we could recruit off of and, you know, and try and make it, uh, make it a high quality program. And that's really, that philosophy has, has really carried through to many of the sports that we've started since then. You know, football was the big ad, but before that, uh, in my time here came, you know, smaller sports like cross country, we added men's tennis. And so, you know, when we, when we add a sport, we try and evaluate is, is it, obviously, is it going to help enrollment? Yes. But do we have the facilities? Do we have the staff? Do we have everything we need on site to make their experience one that is a, that is quality that they come here and they go, man, I'm so glad I came here. I, I won't want to be anywhere else. And, you know, and sometimes, as I mentioned, the word tension, tension comes up because, 
I haven't been here a year when admissions hasn't, you know, the vice president for admissions hasn't asked me, what can we start this year? And uh, thankfully, we have an administration that really does not use athletics or is not willing to use athletics simply to bolster enrollment. Uh, there's got to be a, a plan there to give them a great experience. And so I, I'm thankful that, you know, Dr. Engel, our president, Dr. Owen, my boss, uh, we're one in that philosophy that we're not going to, you know, we're not going to become a, a university who just, you know, is 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 out there for, you know, for revenue and and at the expense of our of our coaches and our, our student athletes. Yeah, it, it is a conundrum. Um, many people in the world just don't understand that higher education is a business. Uh, yes. you know, we have to we have to generate the revenue that sustains our operations. Um, but there's a fine line there, and there are plenty of schools who uh, have exceeded. I'm sure I was in the session that you're talking about. Uh, plenty of schools that have just said, bring me more without, you know, maybe we talk on the surface about how important graduation and retention and those things are and, and you know, the dreaded student-athlete experience. Um, but we don't put our money where our mouth is. and. Right. And inevitably, we're adding sports, but not thinking about or not funding athletic trainers or sports information people or, you know, compliance. Uh, in your case, you have three times more student athletes whose eligibility you have to certify and and you can't ask the same person uh, to, to do three times the workload. Right. Um, so talk about it because there is a financial side, uh, you know, we don't just add sports to add sports or win the director's cup. It has to make sense financially. So from the standpoint of Southeastern, are you looking at, um, specific discount rates that you would prefer with programs or roster sizes or net revenue, or how do you as you evaluate adding a sport, you're certainly not going to add one that you know we're going to lose money on. How, right. do you, how do you guys do that? Well, it's really a balance, right? I mean, we're looking at discount rates. Uh, we don't want to be off the charts there. Um, you know, we we want to make sure that um, that we are, pro I mean, we're looking at the bottom line. We run ROI on each of our programs each year. Um, you know, and you really, I, I think one of the things that people don't look about in this, look at in this equation often enough is the role of the coach. I mean, I think we talked, we talk about sports in general, we, but, but there's a lot of ways to do it, as you know. And, you know, I had a coach, I had a coach one time who, um, who believed in the, the concept of asking forgiveness, not permission. And, uh, and that was, um, you know, that was uh, that hit me one day because I, I really didn't know that they were like that until I was sitting down with my enrollment people and my financial aid people. And we were going through a, a, a list, a list of the sports. And they, they shared with me that this one particular program, 80 uh, percent of their student athletes were graduate students. And I I kind of cocked my head, said, what, what? Yeah, yeah, 80 percent of them are graduate students. So I, no, that can't be right. You know, <laughs> so I kind of just kind of, you know, brushed it off. But then I went back and visited with the coach later that day. And I said, is this correct? And he said, well, yeah, I'm trying to win. And, you know, that led to a, that led to a, an hour long discussion on, 
yeah, it's important that we win, but it's important that we're profitable for the university. And more than that, it's important that we don't lose money for the university. And so, you know, as you know, when you when you have graduate students that fill a roster, you know, there's a lot of, not a lot of revenue there, nor is there a lot of continuity in the program. And you're really not building a program, you're building a team each year. And so, um, you know, that, that coach is no longer with us, not for that reason, uh, but, you know, you really want a coach who, who has has the program's interest in mind, but understands the umbrella in which they're were under which they're working, which is a challenge at times because you know nothing against coaches, coach, but coaches are hired hired to to tend to a program, and so when you've got a coach who tends to the program well, under, understands the big picture, it makes my job so much easier because you know I don't have to explain how things work to them. You know, you know that. I mean, you were you did this for a long time, and there were coaches that got it, and there are coaches who don't get it, and uh, and that's a big part of this. Yeah, I, and I would say, you know, maybe for somebody who's listening and thinking about becoming an athletic director, it it's really important to be able to define what success is, and and you know, success is not just winning. Success is maybe winning and graduating students and managing your finances and generating revenue for the university. And depending on who you talk to, those priorities may be in a whole different order. Um, I, I, I do uh, understand for coaches, you know, they're going to church on Sunday and nobody asks them, hey, how's your discount rate? Right, right. You know, they all say, are you, how's your season? Are you winning or not? And, uh, and it's very important. I, I think that, um, that people understand the business side of the operation and that you're right, that, that coaches are committed to succeeding in all areas. Yes. Um, as an administrator, I'm, I think I'm kind of like you. My experience with people who are prone to ask forgiveness is sooner or later, we're going to reach a point where I can't forgive you anymore. And it's about trust. That's right. right. <laughs> <laughs> and that's a danger. It's that could be a, a dangerous position to find yourself in. Well, um, let's switch gears a little bit and let's just talk about your time. Uh, you know, you mentioned this earlier when you were coaching and administrating, it was just challenging for you to feel like you fulfilled all the duties that you needed to. But, you know, in a given week, um, working in athletics is a lifestyle. Uh, you know, it's it's certainly not a show up at eight and go home at five job very often. So what are the areas that demand the majority of your time during the week? And, and what are some of the tricks that you've learned to, to stay productive? Well, there's, there's the day that you think you have laid out and then there's the day that actually happens. And, you know, you know that, and I think any, any athletic administrator understands that, you know, your calendar looks one way, but you know, things sometimes, you know, don't work out that way. So that used to frustrate me because I'd see the calendar and I'd say, oh, I have two hours open there. I'm going to work on X, Y, and Z. And then a coach calls, wheels are falling off, student athlete, you know, got into trouble or, you know, whatever happens, administrator calls, you know, calling into a, a late minute meeting or, or you get a call from a parent. There's a, it's a, it's a long list of things that could happen, but that used to really frustrate me. And, and what I realized is a, 
I actually like that part of the job because it's not a predictable job. No day looks the same as the as the next. And I really like that. But what I've tried to do is I, I've just tried to become a little bit more accountable to my admin. So uh, Sarah sits outside my office. She's sitting out there right now. And um, and I've what I've learned is that when she is managing my time, it's a little bit better for me than when I'm managing my own time. <laughs> You know, because I, you know, I'll be on my way here and there and somebody will stop me and I'll talk too long and I'll be late or, you know, whatever happens, it's when I'm, you know, and this is, I don't really like to admit this out loud, but when I'm, when I'm managing my own schedule, it doesn't go very well, you know, because I get distracted, you know, and so to have accountability around me, you know, where, where Sarah is making sure I'm accountable my schedule uh, and it's also, it's also, you know, I'm I'm very much a, a checklist guy. I'm a to do, I'm a to to do list guy. So I've got my to do. I'm I, I come in, I sit down. I've got to get this, this, and this done. Quite often, there's a there's someone who pokes their head in the door. Hey, do you have five minutes? And that happens, as you know. I mean, that happens all the time, which is great because the coaches feel like I'm approachable. My door's always open. They can come ask me anything. But what I would do was I'd sit here and they'd pop in and I'd look at them real quick and go, yeah, what's up? And I keep typing, keep working. And so I've asked them to keep me accountable and not to talk until I turn and I face them and I look and I engage them, you know, because I, I think it was, it was ex ex extremely disrespectful when I continue to work, when someone's trying to talk to me and there's no way I'm giving them my full focus and attention. Yeah. So, so for me, um, part of the part of the definition for me of you know of, of having a a balanced day is making sure that the people who need my attention get it, and they get it 100. Does that does that happen all the time? No, I, I think I'm still distracted, or I, you know, I, I'm 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 always working to be better in that area. But I think the accountability has helped me, you know, because I think when we try and try and do this ourselves. Most of us, I would say most ADs love the job and they also are, are very hard workers. And so when you when you love a job and you're a hard worker, it's hard to, it's hard to have that off switch. But when you when you include accountability, and that would be even accountability from my wife to say, hey Drew, time to unplug, put the phone down, hey, let's spend some time together. Which isn't always easy to hear, but you know, it's it's really good wisdom. Yeah. Well, no doubt. I I I will admit in my case, I was a little naive when I came in as athletic director regarding the amount of time I would spend on in meetings and committees outside of the athletic department and how time consuming that can be. And, and you're right, any given day, the phone rings and all bets are off. You, you're just gonna have to deal with an issue. Um, so, uh, you know, more than anything, just, forcing yourself to have some open windows and hoping that they remain open um, was about the best advice that, that I could give anybody in terms of uh, trying to stay productive. But um, well, well, it, it's really, it's really about to me expectation. So if I expect my day is going to be like that, I'm, I'm going to probably end up embracing it. If I always complain about it, I'm going to be miserable. Oh, I had two hours and such and such. You know, and, and I and I really feel like for me, 
and I'm still working on this because it, it doesn't come naturally, but I believe the best coaches figure out what motivates each person on their team and they hit them, they hit that button. And, and it's easier with a basketball team because you got 12 to 15 kids harder with a football coach, but the football coach also has position coaches and, and those folks that help them out. But what I realized uh, actually recently, relatively recently in the last few months was that while I coached my coaches to take that approach, I wasn't taking that approach. And so I was coaching the coaches in a cookie cutter fashion when they are all very unique and different people with unique needs, unique motivation, unique talents and skills. And I was treating them like I would want to be treated, all of them. And, and I was like, man, Watson, you're, you're a hypocrite. Like you're, you're teaching, coaching the individual, but you're not coaching the individual yourself. And so I've worked the last few months on trying to, you know, I, I've been asking my coaches, hey, what's your what's your management language? You know, in the light of like a love language, what's your management language? When you're when you're discouraged, when you need to pick me up, when you're angry, what do you need from me? Instead of me giving them what I would need from the athletic director. And that's really been helpful for me. That's great advice. You know, sometimes you need a hug and sometimes you need a kick in the backside. And yep. uh, and I think the other important area, and I see you doing this as well, is is building up those other senior administrators so that you can delegate, uh, so that they are able to solve some of those issues that don't, you know, uh, Lord willing, don't even require your input. Um uh, okay, so I want to talk a little bit. I mentioned earlier that you're the current president of the NAI Athletic Directors Association. And so here's one more area that, that requires some of your time every month. Um, so, and you've been involved with the ADA for seven or eight or nine years at least. Um, talk a little bit about your early involvement with the ADA and, and, and what it's like now as the president and maybe some of your priorities uh, in that position. Well, I didn't really know what I was getting myself into. Somebody asked me to be on the ADA board and, and I'm like, sure, I, I, I love that. So I remember sitting in a, in a, in a big, you know, ballroom type deal with the tables in a, in a rectangle and all the, all the name plates on the table. And, and just my philosophy always, when I walk into a new room, it's just to sit and listen. Uh, just just figure out what the priorities in the room, figure out what the culture is in the room. And and that's what I did. And, you know, I've told you this before one-on-one, like you, you were in those rooms. You were in that first room that I walked into an ADA board. And uh, I was, I, I, I remain grateful that you are such a, were such a great example to the younger ones of us. And that sounds funny me saying that now, because I don't feel like I'm young at all. <laughs> But you, you, uh, you really blazed the path for us, and I know you were instrumental in in forming the ADA from its outset. Um, and so I, I just want to first of all thank you for that. But you know those those early days were very formative. Uh, those formative days were very important for me because I sat in the room with people like you, and you know who had a ton of wisdom and experience. Um, you know, and what I learned was uh, that I still carry this day. <laughs> For, for better or for worse, I, I think that um, for me, speaking my mind on an issue and trying to get to an answer, even if it's a tough question, uh, is always better than just sitting there and accepting the status quo. And, you know, and that's tough and it's gotten me, 
It's probably gotten me assigned to some task force over the years that uh, that I probably would not have chosen to be on, but uh, I'm honored to have served on them and been been a part of the change that's happened at the NAIA. But um, you know, I think you were a big part of that because yeah, you know, one and I can't remember what what it was, Jim. But but one of the first things I heard you say, I, I my my reaction was, oh okay, all right, he speaks his mind. I like that. You know, and so, so, you know, without that example in the room, you know, for as many years as we served together, I don't know that I would have, I would have had the boldness to to open my mouth at times when it needed, when I needed to speak. And so, you know, that's, you know, and, and, and as we've moved forward, I mean, being president, as you know, you come up through the ranks, you start as third vice president, move to second. Now I was third vice president for about a week. Uh, Mark DeMichael retired as, you know, from AD and moved up to vice president left the second chair open and I moved up, you know, I voted for third and then I, in a week I moved up to second. So, you know, that's the way it happens sometimes. But, you know, the way that, that the ADA has that situated is really a good system because you come up, you, you're doing different, you know, pulling different uh, responsibilities for the, uh, for the, for the officers and for the board. And, um, you know, and so I'm, you know, I'm now the president, I'm the president, you know, till the end of, you know, till, till June this year. And I really enjoyed it. I, I get to work with, you know, Ashley Wallachow is the is the past president, uh, Jason Horn, first vice president, Regan Rossi at College of Idaho, second vice president, Nick Rule uh, over at William Penn is is the third vice president. We have a really good group. Uh, we laugh a lot. We have some tough conversations. But when you've got good people to work with, and I say this about my coaches too, when you've got good folks around you, it makes your job a lot easier. And so, you know, we uh, we've had a good year. One of my one of my goals coming in and 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 early on I talked to the board about this is you've been on those rooms where there's 21 people in the room but three people are speaking the whole time and and I don't I didn't want I didn't I don't want the ADA board to be like that everybody who's sitting in that room has valuable experience they've got valuable insight they we each have come a different path to the job the chair we're sitting in and so it's valuable to hear different opinions, even if it's, hey, I agree with Jim on that. Or Ashley, that's good, but you know, maybe if we thought about this too. You know, I just I just really felt strongly that we needed to stop being a, a board that had very few speaking to a board that had everyone speaking. And so in in meetings, sometimes I'll I'll call people out, like, hey, haven't heard from so and so. Like, what do you think? You know, and I and I think that's that's been really good for us because it's it's really brought about a culture of of um, I, I just a culture of buy-in. Like everybody in the room is bought in. It's not, hey, I'm sitting here and you know Watson's going to dominate you know 50 minutes of our hour. No, it's it's you know, let's listen to each other and let's let's process through things from a holistic standpoint, not just from a few people who like to talk and and aren't afraid to talk. Uh, sometimes people aren't afraid to talk; they don't necessarily like to talk, but you know that so that's uh that's been that's been fun watching people you know kind of come out of their shell and and really start voicing their opinions and that's it's been fun to watch uh but you know some of the things that uh that we're you know we we we're, right now we're tackling some of the ratings issues in the NAI uh, task force was just formed uh you know we had one i think back in 2013 um but now we've you know there's you know, and now March Madness is an interesting time because you've got 
like Union. Southeastern played Union in men's basketball last night. Union was ranked third in the last coaches poll, but they ended up as a six seed in one of the in one of the regions. You know, and so they're they're coming in there thinking, what the heck? Like, you know, but the fact is the rankings have nothing to do with the seeding. And so we've got to fix that. And so that's one of the things we're focused on. Uh, we continue to look at drug testing. Uh, there's, you know, there's issues in, in intercollegiate athletics that you're well familiar with, the transgender issue. Uh, the NAI has a task force for that right now. So uh, we're we're trying to stay out of that uh, at, at this point. You know, we've given our opinion and we're letting the people who are in the room decide that. Uh, but there's a lot of important issues facing, you know, our, our association at this point. Well, uh, you know, the first thing I want to say is thank you for your service. Um, having been involved in the ADA years ago, I'm excited to see strong leadership. You know, it just means so much. Um, I, you know, for anybody listening to this, I, I would just encourage and almost compel, try to compel them to be involved. You know, the, whether it's the NCAA or the NAI or the NJCAA, um, each of those organizations needs campus leaders to be involved, to add input, to ask hard questions. Um, and I kind of laughed at your comment because you're right. You and I both ended up on some task force because we uh, we expressed our opinion in a meeting. And, and, and that opinion... Right differed from where we were at and and uh and both you and i were very uh kind of got it handed back to us but it's just so important to have people uh who are willing to think beyond their campus i think there are advantages to it because you get involved in critical conversations earlier conversations that may come back to impact your department but I'm really grateful uh, for your leadership and for those uh, members of, of whether it's the NAI, ADA, or the D2 or D3 or whatever, the, uh, the people that are taking the time to shine a light on outstanding athletic directors and to provide uh, educational opportunities and solve issues, that's critical. Um, my final question, you've kind of you've kind of touched on it a little bit already, but you know, at college athletics, we went through whatever this period of sort of stableness. And then the last 20 or so years, we've kind of been on the, like the stock market. We've had some real shocking developments from time to time and challenges to deal with. And one of those was was COVID, which the entire world had to deal with. But, but you have a preponderance of kids transferring these days. You have NIL that's come into the mix. Um, even conference membership and national membership continues to kind of be in flux. And so I, I just kind of wonder in closing, what you know, what are your thoughts in terms of what college athletics is going to be dealing with moving ahead and, and how do you deal with it? Well, Jim, that's a it's it's a different world that we're existing in at this point. Um, you know that the the world that we grew up as ads in is is kind of is kind of lost at this point. It's 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 evolved to the point where I think that um, you know I, I think that back in the day, as you know, I mean, you commit to a school, you played for four years, and you graduated. 
you know, but as we become more of a, a made to order society, a customizing society, uh, college athletics has gone that way as well. And, you know, and it makes me sad because I think that the days of, you know, a, a student athlete being loyal to an institution, you know, my wife went to Georgia for a pharmacy school and she still is a huge Bulldog fan because, because she just immersed herself in the culture. And so I think, I think that's sad that we're losing that. And, you know, and I think it's sad for, you know, for the, some of the lessons that we used to learn as, as even as college students ourselves, you know, work through, work through problems, stick with it. You know, if you, if you put in your time, you'll be a starter eventually. Well, that's gone where, you know, I, I'm not a starter here. I'll just transfer to school X. And I'll be a starter there. And so that's frustrating to me. And, you know, and some of the, you know, some of the NIL deals that are happening, I, 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 you know, I may be old school, but I think it's ruining college sports. And, you know, that, and that's frustrating to me because, you know, what what we had uh, going was was pretty good. And it's it's been a long time. It's been that way. And so, you know, I don't want to be the old guy who doesn't adjust and, you know, can't, you know, can't, uh, you know, can't uh, exist in the, in the in a new world, so to speak. So we're all adjusting. We're adjusting to this. And and the student athletes are still as great as, as they ever were, but they're just different. And I'm sure it happened when, you know, in the 60s and 70s and 80s when new generations came up. And, you know, and so uh, I try not to spend too much being, time being sad about the past, but embrace, you know, we, we were on a, a webinar on Monday, Jim, with with three ADs that, you know, Chad Briscoe, Jesse Godding and uh, Araby Connor. And we we're just trying to glean their experience, right? Just have a instead of solving problems, we're going to get to know people. And one thing Jesse Godding said on that call, which I which which spoke to me was, you can either endure or you can embrace, and uh, and that's that's what I think I'm trying to do with this with this kind of this new generation coming up, just embrace it. It is what it is, and and I think that the student athletes these days are no different than they were in the 70s, 80s, and 90s and early 2000s. They still need people pouring into them. They still need people um, coming alongside them when they when they make mistakes. And helping them learn what it is to be a an adult as they transition from, you know, 17, 18, you know, into you know, the post-college years. So for us to miss that and just kind of be enduring it and you know, grumbling about it, it, it really is a it's a waste of our time and it doesn't serve the kids well. So that's what I'm trying to do, no matter how frustrated, you know, there's there's a way to do it, you know, and I just, you know, we just need to just figure out how to embrace it and and help the help the kids just like we always have. Yeah, I couldn't agree more, and uh, and I can't tell you how many times Jesse Godding's perspective influenced my thoughts on things. Um, yeah, I look back on twenty years as an athletic director, and and it wasn't the national championships that stand out to me. It was the the people, um, the coaches, and the student athletes, and I and I don't think that's going to change. Right. Um, you know, change is inevitable, but the opportunity we have to impact and in a positive way uh young people is is really unmatched and and if that's not why you do this job then you probably you're probably not gonna make it you're probably gonna burn out and move on to something else um and, and if you think about it jim it, it's whether it's kids that are here for a year or four years it's still kids right in front of you and students who need who need input and guidance and encouragement and love and support. 
And so I've had to get past that. Like, you know, like, okay, they're not going to be here four years. So what? They're still in my in my sphere of influence and I still need to invest in them. You know, and so that's that's helped me to stay encouraged, you know, and not get not get lost and go, oh, it's not the way it used to be. Well, it's not it's not gonna be the way it used to be. That's the way life is. So yes. Well, and, and you're right. Every generation laments that it's not the way it used to be, but um, but uh, that's not always a bad thing either. Right. So, um, well, Drew, I cannot thank you enough for your time. Uh, I thank you again for the service that you provide as a leader on a national level and, and just um, appreciate you taking the time to join us today. Thanks, Jim. I really appreciate your time. Well, you bet. Well, uh, again, I uh, want to thank Chi Alpha Sigma, who sponsors this podcast, and, and invite you to join us for our next uh, episode. Thanks so much.